Hello and welcome to another episode of the British English Podcast where I, your host, Charlie Baxter, try to expose you to a variety of cultural differences and similarities in an attempt for you to better understand British culture and at the same time learn British English. And in this episode, I have a guest on that I will be conversing with about her experience so far with a variety of countries and cultures as she I would imagine, would admit to having the travel bug. Uh, this doesn't mean she has influenza, but it does mean she bloody loves to explore, and that she has. So much so that she was asked to be a host of a Netflix series called The World's Most Amazing Vacation Rentals. And that is how I first came to know of our guest. One night I was sat down eating my weight in pasta on the sofa with my partner. And as we were wanting to indulge ourselves in some travel ideas for our upcoming trip to Bali, we started watching this Netflix series. And then a few months roll around and one of the hosts of this show pops up on a good friend's Instagram. And after twisting this mutual friend's arm, I have managed to get this TV host on the show for you. It turns out she also has her own podcast called Not Your Average Joe, which I'm sure we will talk about later on. But yeah, considering she's ticked off a fair few countries, hosted a TV show on travel, got a podcast and, and she's a polyglot, I felt obliged to see if she would come on and have a chat with me about all of the above and more. Let's get into it and welcome our guest for today, Joe Franco. Hello, Joe. How are you doing today? Charlie, I am flattered by your lovely introduction. Thank you. Are you like that? <laughs> yes, so good. The good. weight in pasta was a nice touch. Good. Yes. Well, I felt like it was important for you to know, considering your hard work that you put into that show. <laughs> Where should we begin? So you've actually done some traveling recently. Let's go there. Where have you been in this world? So this year alone, I made a little video and I put it on my Instagram. It was like a 2022 travel recap. And I told myself at the beginning of this year, I was going to calm down. And when I looked at my camera roll, I realized I'd been to like 20 plus places. And this wasn't to film a show. This was just me being me. And so I think I, in hindsight, realized like I definitely have a travel bug, borderline travel problem. <laughs> it started off in, uh, I went to London, which right. I spoke to you before we started recording. I'm moving to London. So I'm in between London. I went to Berlin, to Croatia, to Positano, to Thessaloniki, Greece. Then I went back to London. Then I went to, where did I go? To Crete. I mean, I was just bouncing around. It was tons of travel within Europe, Amsterdam, Paris. And that's the beautiful thing about being based in London is that you can hop on a train and have croissants for <laughs> breakfast within two hours, you know, and that's the kind of life I really wanted to live as a kid that I never imagined myself actually living and feel very grateful to be living. Nice. Very nice. Wow. That's a lot of places. When was the first trip that you went abroad when you were a kid or as an adult, maybe? I don't know when your first one was. Great twist. So I was actually born in Brazil. So Rio de Janeiro in Rio. And my first trip abroad, I was five years old and it was the trip we took to move to a new country. It was a full-blown immigration move, but it was not the glamorous move you would think. It was completely just like survival mode. 
my mom, my two siblings, older siblings, we all moved to this small town in Connecticut. We did not speak English. This episode comes with a free worksheet over on the website, thebritishenglishpodcast.com. So grab that and you can listen along whilst using it. So I learned how to speak English in school as a six-year-old. Very painful process. So when there was homework assigned, my mom couldn't help me. It was just very much survival mode. So I empathize with all of the English learners out there because I once was in their shoes. And it is possible because I'm speaking English now. (laughs) Yeah, you would have fooled me. I thought you were a Native American, North American English speaker. Five, six years old, that was when you started. And your family, when you would come home, you wouldn't get any English practice with your parents. Did they pick up the language eventually? So my mom was the only parent. So my dad stayed in Brazil. Okay. And my mom immediately, like on day three of us moving, became a nanny and a housekeeper for a family, an American family. And she was essentially raising four children. And so her English level was based on how the children, the toddlers would speak. So my mom never learned proper English till this day. She speaks with an accent and she speaks well, right? But like, it's not school English. It's very much survival, learn on the fly English. So we, the kids, we were thrown in school and my siblings were in a different school than I was. So we all had to take care of ourselves because if I couldn't understand what was happening, I couldn't call my siblings, for instance, because they were in a different building. So it was really wild, like not the most lovely experience, but it definitely made me realize that language is a superpower. And that's why I learned so many after that experience. When was the the third one that you started to be interested in? So when I was around seven years old, I became pretty fluent at English. And this superpower that I'm talking about got me taken out of classrooms. And I loved it because I did not like school. And I would get taken out of classrooms to translate for the new children. So any kid that would come from abroad, I was more useful to them than a teacher that only spoke English. So my little seven-year-old diabolical mind was like, if I learn languages, I can cut class and be rewarded. When it came time to learn French or Spanish in middle school, so in the U.S. middle school, you were around like 11, 12 years old, I chose French because when you speak Portuguese, you can basically understand Spanish. And French is a little bit more of a challenge. So I wanted to challenge myself. And that's when I started studying French. And it came to me pretty quickly. And then in high school in the U.S., that's around, you know, 14, 15, 16, I started, I had to write a letter to get permission to learn both Italian and French. So I was doing Italian school, like Italian class and French back to back and learned Italian pretty quickly. But these are all school level languages, right? You're not going to become fluent. So I only mastered those languages. It's hard even to say master because it's like a muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it. But with my travels, I really started getting better and speaking fluently in Italian, French, and then later Spanish finally. And now Greek and a little bit of Egyptian Arabic. And hopefully that list will continue. Goodness me. 
Egyptian Arabic. That's unbelievable. So uh, going back to the third one, French, did that get you out of class as much as your Portuguese? Sadly, no. In high school, so when I was a little <laughs> older, it did get me recognized. I was in the National Language Honor Society. And so that gave me, you know, some street okay. cred. But overall, I think learning French actually taught me to learn language, because if you're learning in survival mode, you're not understanding grammar, you're not understanding tenses, you're just doing what needs to be done to be understood. So that third language really sealed my understanding of how to learn, because I think a lot of times people don't even know how to learn. And that's a really useful skill. Mm. I would say it's the biggest block for everyone with languages because I've been studying Spanish for an embarrassing length and I've only recently this year figured out how to learn. I've been teaching how to learn at an intermediate to advanced level, but at a beginner to intermediate level, it's a different game. And yeah, it's taken me a long time, but I'm, I'm finally understanding how my brain works a bit more. And yeah, it's a huge difference because you see progress when you wouldn't have, you know, for three times the amount of time that you put into it. So yeah, I, I really, I want to ask you, yeah. I want to ask you to flip the question. How, how did you finally learn how you learn? What changed? Well, my focus on my site is to make the learner be as active as possible in their learning process. So they're making sentences in their brain, as opposed to just passively learning conversations uh, listening to conversations or watching YouTube videos. I, I think there's always a part for that, you know, onboarding information is, is important. But I noticed that when I was actively being asked to conjugate sentences and, you know, take what I've revised and then pair it up with the English that I need to translate at the beginner stage, that was inspiring my brain to actually fire and use the Spanish as opposed to just letting it wash over me. There's a few more things like also in Spanish classes when they're talking at me in Spanish and I don't understand it, I get really frustrated with myself and then I just can't enjoy the class and I and and then I stop going to the class after a few weeks of struggling and I found a way to ask the teacher to be more at my level with with speaking wise a combination of a couple of other things as well but yeah th those were some thoughts that i had you learned a few languages early on and then it continued and do you think that was that played a part in how you ended up on netflix honestly i think language learning plays a part in everything i do but i don't think that is why i got the job although it is a nice little you know sub line subheader to my title like joe polyglot speaks six languages travels the world i was not able to use my languages in the show like i would have liked because it's a 30 minute show and even though i did sit with the japanese host in this woodworking town and he taught me japanese in 30 minutes obviously since it's a 30 minute show you're not going to see that that's just me no matter what gets shown on a tv show i will be doing that no matter what but I think the skills that I got from learning languages and the resilience, because honestly, there is nothing more resilient that I can think of like learning languages, that resilience and tenacity was what got me the job on Netflix. And also the ability to connect with anyone that really 
was the de- deciding factor because I was supposed to be in competition with all of the women because they were they were they were only looking for two hosts, a man and a woman. And then during the audition process, we were kind of there were 15 of the most beautiful people I have ever seen in my life in one room. It was like truly like Victoria's Secret models and people full of charisma. These are not basic people, right? These are shining stars. And the way the audition for a show like that works, there's a huge process where they filter through hundreds and thousands of applicants or people that might be good. They interview people, 200 people get you know put on the next stage and then you get interviewed again. And then they, they windle that down to 15 people-ish, depending on the show. And then they create this day-long audition called a chemistry test where the job is to literally have chemistry with a stranger so imagine you and i charlie are sitting in this room with sexy people feeling a shell of ourselves knowing that in any minute they could call us at any minute they could say joe and charlie you're up now we would go out into the living room there are tv executives watching monitors that are coming through a live feed of cameramen who are filming us. So you need to actually know tact. Like you need to know the craft of hosting, how to position your body. You need to know how to move, even though it's all improv. And the test is to have chemistry with the stranger and act like we've been the best of friends while casually putting out talking points that you were fed 10 minutes before the camera rolled. So they would be like, okay, this is the square footage of the property. Here's a little bit of history. Now we're going to yell action and you do not stop talking until we yell cut. This is the job. Okay. So it's complete improvising. It's complete. I don't even know, like uh, putting yourself out there in the most vulnerable way, knowing that every single thing that you say could make or break this opportunity. And all of the women are in competition. All of the men are in competition. But while I was in that room, in the holding room, I became friends, for lack of a better word. I just started, you know, chatting up this woman, Megan. Even though we were competitors, we hit it off. And we started just talking and laughing and having a great time. And the producers saw us chatting and they were like, wow, we should put you two together. Did you know that we have a 45-minute-long audiobook that also comes with an ebook to read along with, teaching you 10 of the most useful idioms that you can use to sound like a native-level speaker? You know, the next time that you want to impress someone, be it for a job interview or an English exam, like the IELTS test, then you can whip out one of these phrases and really wow them. We've selected these 10 because they're daily idioms. They're ones that you can use in many, many situations. So you won't be wasting your time learning a random idiom that you'll, you'll never really get the chance to use. And the even better news is that we're giving this audiobook and ebook away for free. And all you need to do is find it in the show notes of this episode. Head over to the BritishEnglishPodcast.com and find it in the homepage. Or just like the free worksheet for this episode, go to the BritishEnglishPodcast.com forward slash freebies. That is F-R-E-E-B-I-E-S. And we were like, well, they're not going to hire two women. Like we knew that because they definitely want a male in the mix. So why are they even bothering But when they put us together, they loved the chemistry so much that they ended up creating an entirely new role on the show where all three of us got the job. So they hired 
my male co-host Luis and Megan and I, and this was a true act of chemistry, yes, but also being able to connect with anyone, even if they're your quote unquote competitor. Wow. I love that. I obviously didn't see the show in their mind at the beginning with just two people, but three people make such a better dynamic. I think for the show itself, having three places within the episode as well and having an element of not well, friendly competition of like whose apartment, whose place is better. But also when you're going around the place, I feel like most shows that do home visits, they have at least three, don't they? I think two is just a bit too binary. Three makes it a dynamic kind of conversation. This is what they realized when they saw us on tape and like saw all of our chemistry. It felt like a party. But no, usually those shows only have two hosts. It's usually a designer and a real estate expert. And I was the bonus character where it's like, Joe, the cultural historian context giver. And that was really cool uh-huh. because I was able to mold my own role since there was no, I wasn't in charge of design. I wasn't in charge of real estate. I was in charge of travel, culture, like that whole, why are we here element. And I would tell the producers, I was like, damn, this is my dream job. I get to study and to communicate cool facts about why we're here, why this matters. And I started talking about sustainability, which I'm passionate about and history of places. So it was a really amazing opportunity. I'm super grateful that it happened. That's so cool. Did you know who they felt like was the person out of you and the other co-host, the female co-host? Sorry, what's her name? Megan. Megan. Did you feel like you knew who had it already in the bag and who was like the third No, person? you know the thing. Or was it just... So they actually put us together, Megan and I, and they were like, <laughs> okay, how are you two different? And I'm like, I don't know this person. I literally just met her, but I went into survival mode. And I was like, are you a morning person? <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm a night person. Are you an outdoorsy person? No, okay, I am. Do you like to cook? Oh, okay, I don't. And so I basically, they wanted to see that we were different enough that it made sense to have both of us. Because ah. while we are similar with energy and banter, we're very different as human beings. And, you know, like our experience, mm-hmm. our, not even our values, but just like our, how we've lived our lives has been very different. I'm definitely more of the like going out there, throwing myself in culture, learning language. And she's like, let me redesign this whole house. Let me create <laughs> art. And so that's why it fit. And it's hard to choose between one or the other because they're so different. Yes. Yes, I see. Oh, excellent. Let's just give a, a backstory of the show. It's literally the title, the most amazing vacation rentals <laughs> on the planet. And is it your choice or is it the producer who finds where to go? Honestly, it's both. And we were also filming oh. during COVID. So the show had to stop and they had to reroute. Because we were supposed to go to Europe, but COVID hit in the middle of production. And so for four months, we were kind of dark. We didn't know if we would even go back on the show. But at this time, the producers had to completely reschedule the entire show and choose locations where we could be, you know, in huge spaces. So it was COVID safe. We were in Montana on a ranch. Like that wasn't planned before. There was a lot of improvising because of COVID. That makes sense because I actually looked at it to try and figure out what places you had been to skimming through the locations. And it was America heavy. It was pretty much throughout the States, wasn't it? I mean, there were other places, but 
still. Yeah. It was so, a lot more of the US. Exactly. That wasn't initially the plan. So right when we started, mm. we started shooting the end of January in 2020. We went from LA, we went to three islands in Hawaii. Then we went to Japan, to two different cities in Japan. Then we went to two different cities in Finland. Then we went three different cities in Bali. Then we went to the Bahamas. Then we went to the Dominican Republic. Like, And then, and then the show stopped. And then they basically said, right. the world's yeah. ending, go home, and we'll contact you as soon as we can get back on the road. And so the, <laughs> the there were global ending. components, you know. <laughs> when you watch the show, you see that there are global destinations, and that was pre-COVID. And then during COVID, it was a lot more challenging. Was season two more US-based? Well, we mixed or everything. the other way around? It was all mixed. Oh, uh, yeah. So right, 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 right. when you watch both seasons, yeah. there are global, you know, Yes. Places. Yes. You mentioned Bali. So yes, um, this is why I flicked onto your show because we're going to Bali in two weeks and we've booked one place. We heard from people to book your first three or four nights and then see where the wind takes you. But I don't know if that's good advice or not. I mean, it depends if you, it depends <laughs> on your improv, in your improv tolerance. Like how do you want to <laughs> feel? If you're really burnt, I would recommend booking more than just three nights. But Bali is the kind of place where you meet people and they recommend something and you can, you know, on the fly change your plans. I've done both. Okay. Sometimes I even get upset at myself for being such a planner because then I end up either abandoning the plan that I made, which means losing money, or, you know, I have to stay with my plan and miss out on doing something super cool. So it depends. There are pros and cons to both travel strategies. Yes. I have a bit of a frustration with the planners and bookers in the world, including yourself and my <laughs> girlfriend uh, or fiance, because I've got a few friends who are really focused on planning to the point where they can't focus on the now. So when they get to a place, they think about the next place. And it makes me frustrated that they're not mindful and appreciative of where they are at. But me not being able to think, you know, 24 hours or more beyond, maybe a, I can do a week, maybe, maybe two. But it's hard for me to go beyond that. I don't get a look in. I can't get to a place because it's all fully packed. So I can't appreciate where I'm at because I'm nowhere. Exactly. And then it's stressful. And then a holiday that should be relaxing becomes stressful because you're wondering where you're going to sleep. So again, pros and cons to both. Yes, exactly. Where did you go in Bali for the show? So we went to Ubud, which was really beautiful, hustle, bustle, city. And we stayed in, in this place called the Bird's Nest, if I'm not mistaken. And we, it was like wild. It was, there were pods on stilts stacked up on each other and they look like bird's nests so if you're daring you can climb up these bamboo steps and go up to the third fourth level of the pod and you see above the treetops and it's pretty much like an open basket so you're in nature and that was amazing incredible outdoor showers like you're feeling free you know it's one of those yeah. you're feeling good and then after that, that good I was just going to ask, what happens if you need a wee at night? Yeah, that is a whole thing on the show. It's like, this is why you got to be strategic. <laughs> All decisions need to be strategic. If you're a midnight weir, you got to go on a lower pod. Because <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> when you get down the entire pod, you know, all three or four of the pods shake. Exactly. It's it's 
very scary. So I was like, I'll be on pod level two because that's, I think, the max I can do here. <laughs> was the, the male co-host at the top? He was at the very top, yeah. So he's got a, a bladder of steel. Well, yeah, and also he has a wee, you know, a wee, a wee wee, so he could just like stick it out and pee, and hopefully no one's walking nah, around. <laughs> do that. No, but I'm sure he thought about it. <laughs> yeah, I would, but I mean, is it a vertical drop? Complete vertical. Or is it slightly? No, no, no. Tiered. Yeah. Absolute vertical. Okay. Yeah. He wouldn't be peeing on your bed. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that was Ubud. And then where else did you go? Then we went to, this was my property, a really beautiful property in Salat, which is this like very off the beaten path town, village almost. And we stayed in this place called the Butterfly House. And it's one of the most Instagrammed places. They have these big nets where you're just laying and you're overlooking just acres and acres of rice fields. Spectacular. Very peaceful, uh, you know, flower petals in the bathtub kind of a vibe. And similar there, you're you're sleeping in the outdoors. So you're sleeping in this treehouse, essentially, with mosquito nets over the bed, like a huge canopy. But you can hear whatever. You can hear bats. You can hear birds. It's very much in the nature, which I have come to appreciate so much having lived in cities for so long. I'm just like, give me the nature. Yeah, I noticed that when I came to Sydney, actually. The birds are insanely loud outside of England. Well, I don't, I don't know, but yeah, Australia, they, they really like to let us know it's morning. I think also a bit too early, in my opinion. I'm, a, I'm not the best at getting up at like five in the morning. The birds love it. And I, I've noticed that a lot of Aussies actually have earplugs. Like it's normal. I heard from a couple of Aussies. They're like, yeah, we all wear earplugs. Everyone. Wow. Probably a sweeping statement, but yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's so dangerous. I don't like sleeping with like things in my ears or covering my eyes. I'm like, I got to be ready. This is travel trauma as well. <laughs> like you never know oh, what you gosh, need to be ready yeah. for. I'm the like, I'm the stay ready so you don't have to get ready kind of a person. Like I'm ready to go. I imagine the bayonet poking you then. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, get up. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then you went to the really luxurious one. Where was that in Bali? That was in Seminyak, which is actually where a Seminyak. lot of Aussies go to party. It was basically mm. Australia. It reminded <laughs> me of what we do here in the States. Like a lot of Americans go to Cancun. It's that vibe, but for Australians. Yes. Yes. I'm worried about that. Uh, we've got a few Aussies that like to drink here. I like a drink now and again, but I don't want to... You know, I don't want that to be the main focus every single day at all. And they said, yeah, go to Seminyak, go to Seminyak. I'm like, okay, don't go to Seminyak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't personally choose to go to Seminyak, but it was lively. You know, anywhere that there's tourism, you're going to have an abundance of options for bars, restaurants, and that's good. Pros and cons to everything. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so guys listening, check out the Netflix show because that is episode one season one. So it's quite interesting to have listened to this conversation and then experience it yourself on Netflix. And you can see Joe being the pro that she is. We've probably come towards uh, the latter part of part one. Let me just check a few other questions that I had in store for you. Oh yeah, I, I want to squeeze this one in. Are there any places that you went to that you felt like you would go back to, that you would want to go back to and maybe even live so many places. I think Finland. Oh. Finland was a place that I'm like, I got to come back here. It was so beautiful and eco-friendly and 
lovely people and Santa Claus lives there. So it's like just so many reasons to go to Finland. We went to this place called Rovaniemi, which is in the Arctic Circle. Just outrageous. And, you know, I, I went into there's this tradition in Finland where you go into a smoke sauna and you roast a little bit and then you go into a frozen lake. It's a hole in the lake called an Avanto. So you go in there and we did this on the show. It was in the eco-friendly episode. And it's the wildest thing, Charlie. Your your whole body goes into shock and you can everything is still. The only thing moving is your mind. And around you, you see these tiny crystals of ice forming around your body. That's how cold it is. And there's nothing like that feeling of getting out of a frozen lake reminding you you're very much alive and your body is functioning and it's glorious. That was one of an, you know, that was a once in a lifetime experience that the show gave me that just made me, I don't know, I was just so in awe of Finland after that. Yeah, okay. I mean, it sounds unbelievable and the you know, you got to be in the right frame of mind and the right place to do that kind of extreme uh cold ice dunk but you could just make an ice bath have you thought about that since yeah, you did it yeah you could but you're not gonna have miles and miles of beautiful trees covered in white snow in the middle of a frozen lake in finland you know you could put vr on <laughs> couldn't you i mean don't dip too far down because you get electrocute yourself but yeah. creative i like it yeah i know what you mean i i haven't done a, a what is it called a cold Cold dunk? plunge. No, yeah, like a cold plunge. 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 Yeah, that's it. Cold plunge. I haven't done a cold plunge because I feel like a lot of the time they make you do it really early in the morning. Mm. I think I'd be more open to it midday. I think you're just not a morning person is what I'm hearing. The birds, the yeah. ice plunge. <laughs> it's just not your thing, Charlie. <laughs> you've cracked it. You've, you've, you've sussed me out. Exactly. Okay, so we've got loads more to get onto, but we will save it for part two and part three. But before we go to part two, I feel like I want to mention your podcast, Not Your Average Joe. I like the, the pun on that and we might need to explain it. So obviously, Joe is your name. And Joe is also the name that we use in English to suggest that it's an average person, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's the expression, just your average Joe, right? The average Joe, it's like the basic person. And I wanted to create a podcast that would be almost like a research project for me to interview my favorite people, for me to interview new people that inspire me, that I'm learning from, but for me to also review books that I'm reading and talk about things that I care about that I think are useful to people like journaling, uh, I have a journaling company called Joe Club. So now I've started a whole new segment where I'm reading journal entries, which, by the way, is an amazing language learning technique is journaling in a different language. So, yeah, yeah that's yeah. what Not Your Average Joe is all about. So every episode will cover a topic that will help all of us be a little less average. And what I'm realizing in these episodes is there is no such thing as the average Joe. It, it's impossible. And that's the coolest part, because I'm like. Oh, I want to be, you know, every episode I want to be less average. And then every conversation I'm like, damn, nobody's average. There's no way you can be average. It's just a matter of like understanding what makes you unique. And so that's the mission of the podcast. That's beautiful. Really nice. So not your average Joe on all podcast apps, I assume. And it will be in the link or these show notes. Um, so, yeah, check that 
podcast out and of course the netflix show uh the world's most amazing vacation rentals but yeah joe we will continue the conversation in part two but you might want to say goodbye to part one listeners for now goodbye part one listeners i hope to see you in part two and three it's gonna get juicy you heard it listeners all right if you are just here for part one we will see you next time but uh yeah part two listeners coming around the corner soon there we go see you guys bye for now We will leave it there for part one of today's episode. Thank you very much for listening up to this point. If you did want to listen to part two and part three of this conversation, then you can head over to the BritishEnglishPodcast.com and check out the premium podcast or academy memberships. The premium podcast gives you access to the full conversation along with extended glossaries, transcripts and flashcards, whereas the academy gives you all of that plus exclusive videos and audios for the season-based episodes explaining the vocabulary, exampling them, giving you quizzes, writing assignments and weekly speaking classes on Zoom. But if you were just here for part one of this conversation, then I thank you very much for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed the show. Do grab that free worksheet by clicking the link in the show notes. My name's Charlie and I will see you next week on the British English Podcast. <laughs>